Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Heckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Ron Silberstein. He is president and CFO of Bud's Place. We're going to talk to him about what they're doing in cannabis around consumption lounges. Interesting kind of aspect of cannabis, which is sort of coming to fruition now as states kind of figure out how to expand the cannabis market. Consumption lounges have certainly been on the table, uh, been a a key topic in in many states. Uh, Many business owners, many entrepreneurs are anxious to create a space where people can go and consume. Obviously, a lot of considerations around that, a lot of concerns, a lot of opportunities. It's all kind of sorting out right now. I think we're really kind of on the cusp of this uh, as an industry. We're seeing a couple of states that are starting to pass legislation or put in place uh, policies around putting consumption lounges in. uh, And it's interesting to see how that plays out. Like like all of cannabis, it's very state by state, very inconsistent state by state, and everyone's trying to figure out how to navigate these things. So excited. Ron and his team have put together a concept. They're looking at a franchise model, which is another kind of interesting aspect to business and how to grow your business, scale your business 
business uh, without, uh, you know, significant having to raise significant capital, finding people who can actually own and operate these things. So uh, obviously a lot of different franchise models. We're going to talk to Ron about the strategy they've chose and why they've chosen. With that, Ron, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's exciting to have you on. Really interesting topic, and uh, I'm, I'm curious to see kind of what you've learned so far, what you see the future is. I know we're kind of on the cusp of a lot of things. So, Ron, before we get into all the things that are going on today in terms of consumption and, and the lounges and where you're at with the business, give us a little background. How do you get in franchising? How do you get in cannabis? Tell us the story. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, I've been involved in franchising since 1999 when a client of mine purchased a large golf store franchise company and talked me into leaving my CPA firm. So I'm a CPA, also a certified franchise executive, pretty entrepreneurial, had a CPA firm and then went to work with the client as CFO and chief admin officer of a group of companies, one of which was the golf store franchisor. So that that company had about 150 franchise stores open system-wide revenues of about $200 million. I was a key part of the management team helping out with everything we did, writing the FDD, meeting with franchisees, visiting stores, going to trade shows, planning the annual convention. Basically, uh, had my hands involved in everything uh, with other people on the management team and fell in love with franchising with that. It, there's, uh, it's a very exciting industry. It's uh, very dynamic always changing franchisors you know give average people or normal people the opportunity to own their own business which many of them would not have been able to do they get a concept they get a system they get direction they get purchasing assistance they get volume discounts as the as the chain grows they get a brand name they they get a lot of things that help them be successful and a lot of people involved in franchising uh it was it was similar to golf uh once they're in golf or once they're in franchising they fall in love with it and they may change companies or move around a little but uh they stay in golf or stay in franchising. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot, very challenging. It's very dynamic. You're dealing with a lot of people. You're helping them uh, create generational wealth by being part of a franchise. So the, the, the background on Bud's Place is a friend of mine from high school, Mark Cohen, who's uh, my main partner in this gave me a call a few years ago, told me about this idea he had for consumption lounges. Mark's based in Vegas. That's where Bud's Place is headquartered as well. So I flew out to Vegas. Uh, We met, we talked about it. We saw what was going on in the cannabis industry in Nevada and in some other states. And I saw a big need like he did for consumption lounges. Being a franchising guy, uh, as Mark and I talked more and more about his idea for the business, I saw something that could be franchised successfully. You know, as a franchise person, when you look at businesses, it's really, uh, I don't want to own 50 of these myself. I'd rather, (laughs) you know, rather own one or own a couple or own none and uh, have them all be franchises and just deal with the franchising side of the business and not have to worry about employees calling in sick or quitting or 
you know, all that kind of stuff. So this way the, the franchisees deal with the day-to-day aspect of their own business, their own consumption lounge, and corporate provides support, provides advertising and marketing, provides training, provides ideas, provides menus, provides a lot of things like that. And we put a team together that's good at franchising, good at social media, has a lot of food and beverage experience. We can outsource some of the other things like the cannabis training, site selection assistance, things like that. But uh, we focused on putting a model together, putting a concept together where a franchisee can make a lot of money, can be in an industry that's set to just explode in the near future. And, uh, you know, as we've seen in cannabis just in the last year or two, more and more states are opening up to cannabis, are mm-hmm. proving recreational slash adult use. My partner, Gary Stein, would kill me if he heard me say <laughs> recreational. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, as adult use cannabis uh, opens up in more and more states, they're also opening up additional cannabis-related businesses, such as consumption lounges. They're, you know, they're figuring out that it's not enough to have dispensaries all over the place, that you need to give people a place to consume it. Yeah, other, like other than like their own liquor home stores or everywhere, no bars. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and we compare ourselves. That's a, that that was a good point you just made. A great point. We like to compare ourselves to the alcohol industry. You can drink at home, but there are more than sixty three thousand bars in the U.S. of yeah. all shapes and sizes. That's where cannabis is heading. You know, right now there may be a handful of consumption lounges open in the U.S. Most of them are part of a dispensary mm-hmm. where you, you buy your cannabis and walk through a doorway and you're in a little room with some couches and chairs and a place to smoke what you just bought. And, mm-hmm. and that's it. Our model, you know, while consumption is important to it, we're, we're a hospitality lounge, yeah. entertainment, food and beverage, VIP rooms, big screen TVs, you know, kind of like uh, a cross between a high-end cigar lounge and a Dave and Buster's where Mm -hmm. people can come, hang out, be with their friends, be alone, get work done, you know, really do whatever they want inside and and enjoy their cannabis. Yeah. Before we dig into the cannabis side, I, I just kind of, I think we should educate folks a little bit on the franchise side and just really how it works, why it works, and like, what does it take to develop a successful franchise model? Like, what kind of, what kind of business, what, what needs to be in place for it to be really f- sort of franchisable? Sure. So, a few of the important things to have in place when somebody's deciding on whether their business can be franchised is a system that is easily replicated. A system that can be profitable, you know, because we need our franchisees to make money. A system where we can put in place uh, the proper training for people because, you know, we don't have a, a franchisee for Bud's Place, just like a franchisee in McDonald's or in many other systems. You don't have to have prior experience in making hamburgers, in food and beverage, in any of that you get trained so we had to put together a training system for franchisees we had to make sure on our system for example with the food and beverage we were looking at food that could be easily prepared where we can train a franchisee to prepare it and then they can train their staff to prepare it 
Uh, we had to have a model that, you know, is legal in places that we wanted to have it. So mm-hmm. unique to cannabis is that it's illegal federally, but legal in states, in many states. That's certainly a challenge that most industries don't face. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> you know, so, and, and like you uh like you said, the rules are different everywhere. So one of our challenges is keeping up on the rules everywhere. So we have a governmental guy on our team. That's my partner, Gary Stein, who's based in Tampa and uh, is very active in the Florida cannabis market. Gary's also helped write laws in some states. He's testified in D.C. He used to work for the CDC and Johns Hopkins. So he's got a lot of medical as well as cannabis experience. Uh, we have other people on our team with a lot of food and beverage experience. So that was part of building our team for our franchise is putting people together that could train franchisees, that could sure. help figure out who would qualify to be a franchisee because it's uh, it's not everybody that could be a franchisee. They've, uh, you know, yeah, well, it's entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah, so it's... You know, you want entrepreneurial people, but you don't want people who are too entrepreneurial. They have (laughs) just just right. Kind of Goldilocks entrepreneurs. (laughs) Right. They've got to be able to follow the rules uh, of our system. You know, so they sign a franchise agreement. They get a document called a franchise disclosure document, which is a couple hundred pages, has a lot of information about the management team, about the business, about the cost to get into the business, about my responsibilities as franchisor and their responsibilities as franchisee. And, you know, they've got to work within our system so they can't, you know, like a McDonald's franchisee can't put whatever they want to put on the menu. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they can't advertise however they want to advertise. So as a franchisor, we well, we're, we'll produce some advertising and produce some marketing materials for franchisees. Any ideas they have, they've got to get approval for, from us. The menu is our menu that they will carry. They can give us ideas and suggestions for items, but uh, we have the rights to approve menu items as the franchisor. Got it. Most franchisors control social media now, so we'll set up the whole internet and intranet and web pages for every franchisee. They can do certain things in their area, in their local area, but on many things they need the franchisor's approval, and that's pretty consistent from system to system. Yeah. So what does the what does the franchisee bring in? I mean, they're they're bringing in basically capital to to bankroll the, the setting up of the establishment. But what else do they need to bring to the table in terms of you know being able to get a franchise license and and get an establishment up and running? Right. So what we're looking for, you know, with with the Bud's Place concept being cannabis related, as you know, we'll look at a franchisee to make sure they qualify capital. Wise, and they've got to have the capital available to be able to get a Bud's Place open. And in the in the FDD, it has a table called initial investment, where it lays out all the initial costs that a franchisee can expect to incur. And it, a lot of them will be ranges. For example, the rent, leasehold improvements. Some of the things depend on the size of the lounge and where it's going to be located. You know, for example, if you're in uh, rural Michigan versus, you know, 
downtown San Francisco or downtown New York, Manhattan, yeah. your rental rates and a lot of things are going to cost you more than in other areas. So we have a range, and the range in our FDD for the initial investment is six hundred thousand to a million two. Okay. And uh, you know, so our our template store model, lounge models, four to six thousand square feet. So obviously, the bigger the lounge, the more it's going to cost you. Sure. And you know, it depends on where you're located as far as what the build out costs are going to be, things like that. Another thing we look for in a franchisee or in a prospective franchisee uh, is their background, because we want to make sure or be as sure as we can possibly be that once we proceed with them to get them into our system as a franchisee, we need to make sure they're going to be able to get the licenses they're, that they're going to need. So mm-hmm. the states that are approving consumption lounges have a licensing process, and it's different everywhere, but the franchisee is going to need to be able to get a consumption lounge license, whatever kind of license that state has. And in many cases, they're going to need to get a food preparation license. Okay. So like in Michigan, like any restaurant would need, you need to get a license within that city or municipality to prepare food that you're going to sell to your customers. Yeah. Now, I know a lot of, uh, like a lot of the complexities around the licenses for you know, production and, and processing and, and uh, dispensing and stuff like that have been complicated because as part of the license, you need to have actually real estate secured. And so that creates the situation where people are, you know, putting up, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars for real estate and property without knowing whether they're going to have a license or not. And, you know, then they've got to get through the licensing process. How do you manage that with the franchise model? Is this, if do, I guess, who, who bears the cost or who bears the risk associated with some of these things and, and where does, how does that play out? Good question. So the risk goes on the franchisee okay. for all that. For our, you know, so they would need, in most cases, to engage their own attorney to help them through the licensing process, to help them through the finding a location and getting a lease signed or purchasing a building, you know, things like that. So it falls on them, but we don't want to waste our time or their time if we don't think that they're going to be able to get approved for the different licenses that they would need. So when we're doing our due diligence on a prospective franchisee, we're looking at their background, uh, criminal records, bankruptcies, different things like that. We're trying to you know, find things that might affect their ability to get the licenses. And if we do that, then this may not be the correct business for them. In some cases that stuff won't matter because of all the with all the new social equity uh, programs starting up in cities and states they're actually uh, encouraging persons that have been affected in the past by for example marijuana convictions or other issues yeah it could be just issues in their city related to poor people being disproportionately affected by by drugs where they're actually making it easier for people with some question marks in their background to get into cannabis, both on the dispensary side, on the growing side, and on the lounge side. Mm-hmm. You know, places are approving rules requiring, for example, half of the licenses in that city for consumption lounges to go to minorities or go to people that were affected by yeah. drugs. 
I'm curious on the legal side. I mean, I, I know part of the challenge with operating a cannabis business is because it's federally illegal. You run into some issues around like you can't use the federal bankruptcy courts and you can't. It's difficult to get patents and trademarks for cannabis specific things just because it's, you know, it's federally legal. So they're not going to use the, the federal systems to be able to protect cannabis. Is there anything around franchises? I'm, I don't know enough about franchises to know what's regulated at the federal level and what, what runs amok if you're having a franchise that's dealing with technically a federally illegal product, is there anything that's come up for you as you've kind of figured out how to build this case for a cannabis business? Uh, great question. And the answer is yes. So <laughs> on the trademark side, you know, one of the things you see in franchising is protecting the brand name yeah. and trademarking the brand name. So we uh, early on filed a trade, a federal trademark application for the Bud's Place name and started running into some issues related to the type of business that we are. So yeah. one thing we one thing we haven't talked about, which I should mention now, is that Bud's Place right now is a bring-your-own lounge. <laughs> so it's a bring-your-own concept. So until cannabis is federally legal, we won't be dispensing any cannabis products inside of a, any Bud's Place franchise. Mm -hmm. So we're bring-your-own. And what that's done is some of these federal rules don't apply to us. The banking issues won't apply to us. Mm -hmm. Payroll, expense deduction, those rules won't apply to us because we're not dispensing. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that we could trademark certain things. And what we've been doing is going state by state yeah. to trademark within the state until we can trademark our concept federally. So we're still in the process federally, but uh, they won't approve it right now as a cannabis consumption lounge. Uh, they can approve it as a hospitality facility. You can't do it as like an herbal consumption lounge of some sort. Right. Yeah. Or just, you know, <laughs> food and beverage and entertainment, things like that. But once yeah. the word cannabis comes into play, yeah. federally, they won't trademark it. So we've got trademarks now in a number of states, Michigan, Nevada, California, Illinois, for the name. And we're in the process of trademarking the name in, uh, in more states. Yes, it's federally illegal still, while legal in states. So there's always the risk on any cannabis-related business that if federally they start enforcing those rules, yeah. that they could be shut down. One of the ways we've mitigated that is if that, you know, if that ever happened, and nobody expects that to happen, but there's still that slight chance we could turn into a high-end cigar bar the next day. Mm -hmm. Everything else will be in place, the ventilation system, you know, the food and beverage. We'd, we'd have to add a humidor, you know, and probably uh, go and get a liquor license. Mm -hmm. But we're not out of business. Yeah. Like, like the dispensaries would be out of business. And there's some dispensary franchises out there that would basically be out of business if – you know, the president or attorney general ever decided, you know <laughs> what, I don't like cannabis and we're going to we're going to shut everything down. Yeah, well, it's a it's it's a risk the entire industry faces, but yeah, at least yeah. you've got a little bit of a plan B uh, that you can <laughs> right. put it to if need be. Right, um, we have a plan B, and uh, you know, hopefully, it'll never be needed. But for some people, it gives them a little bit of comfort knowing yeah. that uh, that they can just pivot. And there's been a lot of pivoting in a lot of businesses the last year oh, yeah. and a half, but uh, at least they they wouldn't be out of business, wouldn't wouldn't lose their investment, and could make it go with a slightly different 
business model. Yep. And so where are we in terms of consumption lounge licensing and regulation? I mean, this, I know this has been something people have been talking about for some time. You know, we're starting to see it. But, you know, just give us an overview of where where you see, you know, this part of the industry at this point with some interesting, you know, activity that's happening on the state levels. Give us a little context. Sure. So, you know, what we've seen in uh, the last year and a half are more and more states opening up to adult use marijuana. And with COVID-19 and the pandemic, states have lost a lot of tax revenue and a lot of jobs and a lot of businesses have closed down. And what they've seen, what they've done is looked at states where cannabis is medically and recreationally legal, adult, you know, legal for adult use. And they've seen all the additional tax revenues that these states have recognized. So you've got Colorado, California, Nevada, Illinois, Michigan, large amounts of of new tax revenues from cannabis. So other states recently have also been legalizing adult use cannabis, such as New Jersey and New York and Virginia, Montana, uh, a few weeks ago. So we're seeing, you know, states being more and more open to cannabis, certainly more and more open to the tax revenues that cannabis can produce and provide for them. And what's happening with that is uh, as they approve adult use marijuana, they're realizing that it's not adequate and not appropriate to let people buy marijuana at dispensaries all over the place and not have places to smoke it other than in their own home. So they're looking at all these ancillary cannabis-related businesses such as consumption lounges. And, you know, the newest, uh, as you and I were talking before we went live, the newest is Nevada. So on Monday, June 7th, the governor of Nevada signed a bill allowing consumption lounges. And the Bud's Place team had been involved for the last month or so in meetings and and Zoom meetings with uh, regulators and legislators in Nevada, helping them or making suggestions for the language in the bill. So they've actually approved two different types of consumption lounges, one type which is inside of or adjacent to a dispensary you know so they're selling you the cannabis to consume in the lounge and the other type is an independent consumption lounge where uh, that type of lounge wouldn't be selling cannabis to its customers they'd be bringing their own in and they've got rules as far as what type of cannabis you can bring in and they allow for dispensaries to deliver to the lounge and uh, that's where Nevada, how Nevada decided to do it. In other states, they basically just allow consumption lounges. They've got their own rules. Uh, they they may have their own rules related to security. They've got rules related to the ventilation system. So that's actually the biggest cost of getting into a Bud's Place lounge is the ventilation system. Yeah. So it's uh, an air quality system that basically replaces the air in the building every 15 minutes. It's even We've had that in our model right from the beginning, but it's become even more important with COVID. Uh, 
you know, and showing that you've got clean air and a sanitary environment and clean and safe and all that. So we've had that in there the whole time. And in fact, the uh, the ventilation system in a 6,000 square foot lounge could cost as much as $350,000. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's the biggest cost of a lounge, but we view it as a necessity. And it also could be a semi-deterrent to competitors getting in yeah because no matter yeah barrier to entry because if they want to have that kind of ventilation system you know they've got to have the money to put into it yeah and uh there's no getting around that and if they if they try to shortcut it or if they're in an area that doesn't have those strict rules and want to want to go cheaper and not have that kind of ventilation system then we'll have a little advertising and marketing <laughs> yeah, exactly. against them yeah no, it's a great, great competitive advantage. I'm curious, as, as you've seen those, these regulations kind of get developed and evolve, what are the issues? I mean, I, I, I'm curious about, you know, how it relates to alcohol, you know, use of alcohol in these establishments, you know, other, other things that have come up in terms of concerns from either from a public health point of view or from an industry point of view. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are there's a lot of established industries out there that are potentially threatened <laughs> by by this by these kind of lounges being opened up. What have you? How, how has this played out? What what have been kind of the underlying kind of dynamics of getting these um, th- these policies put in place? These um, you know the legislation changed. Sure. So one of the one of the things that states have been struggling with is, and one of the things states some states are trying to do with consumption lounges is fix their own issues related to the black market mm-hmm. and black mar- market cannabis. Because first, a state, if people are buying cannabis on the black market, then the state's losing out on tax revenues. There's also potential quality issues if people are buying cannabis on the black market because buying it from legal dispensaries, normally the cannabis would be tested, would have been tested. You'd mm-hmm. have all the specifications and what you were buying you know, et cetera, et cetera. So like in the in the new Nevada rules, they actually put something in there where to go into a consumption lounge, a customer can only purchase or bring in single-use cannabis products. They haven't defined that yet. <laughs> I was going to say, what does that mean? <laughs> right, what does that mean? So that's the first time I've seen that type of definition uh-huh. on what a customer could bring in to a consumption lounge. Lounge up until now, uh, the basic thing we had to do uh, as a consumption lounge operator was make sure the customer was at least twenty-one years old. Yeah, you know, and that was it. We didn't have to check the type of marijuana they were bringing in. Some states don't allow them to exit to leave with any cannabis that they brought in with them so they have to consume it all while they're in there maybe that's, that's what single use means but uh you know nevada still has to define single use they also put something in there that it's supposed to be uh that it needs to be in the original packaging that yeah, they purchased it in that. from the dispensary yeah. except the issue with that uh that we see and we'll have to see how it all plays out is in nevada first you've got medical users mm-hmm. in nevada that normally would not be buying tiny quantities of cannabis because they're using it, you know, Mm -hmm. often, you know, sometimes multiple times a day. So they're buying larger quantities. And normally when you buy a larger quantity, let's say an ounce, the price per gram on that ounce is going to be less than if you just bought a gram. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, so they've got to kind of figure that out. Are we going to force medical users to pay higher prices for their cannabis uh, so that they can go to consumption lounges? Nevada also has people that are legally allowed to grow their own yeah, marijuana just at ask. home. Yeah, home growth. So now it looks like they're going to be requiring people who can grow it at home to go to a dispensary and buy small quantities of higher priced marijuana to take to a consumption lounge. Hmm. You know, so that's kind of unique. And that's just an example of, you know, state to state, it's different everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a challenge to just to keep up, you know, with what those states rules are yeah. uh, like you said or asked uh, a little while ago on the real estate side and things like that michigan for example the whole process of getting a consumption lounge license from start to finish can take six months uh how about you get preliminary approval early on in the process so it might take a month or two to get preliminary approval on a consumption lounge license and then you get final approval basically when they do a walkthrough of your facility at the end of the process to make sure that it was built out to their specifications and you know like you've seen in other people you've talked to related to cannabis and from your experience in the industry there's are still certain stigmas related to cannabis use yeah. not like there used to be but one of the unique things with consumption lounges is many states that are approving consumption lounges are putting a requirement in there that people walking by the lounge from the outside can't be able to see anybody that's inside mm -hmm. <laughs> so so you've got to, if you have windows, you've got to have them frosted or mirrored or, you know, you can't have outside smoking areas. You can't have rooftop smoking areas. Yeah. You've got to be certain distances away from schools or residential areas. It's different everywhere, but, you know, and that's why a prospective franchisee, you know, with some assistance from us, but most of the work is done by the franchisee and their legal counsel just need to be familiar with the rules in their area as they're picking their location yeah. and looking for real estate because uh, the rules are different everywhere. And consumption lounges, as they get open, are going to be under a microscope in those areas by by the government you know state and local making sure that all the rules are being followed so that's one of the other things we're looking for in a prospective franchisee is they need to be willing to follow all the rules so it's our rules as a franchisor which are all laid out in the franchise agreement and then all the local rules because we've got to do it right. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, by being focused on doing it right, we can help build an industry that's going to be huge. If we fuck things up mm -hmm. and don't do it right, we could do damage to the industry. Yeah. So we've been laser focused on doing things right, on putting a concept together where franchisees can make a lot of money and, and build generational wealth. We have a single unit franchise agreement and a multi-unit franchise agreement. The multi-unit requires somebody to commit to opening at least five. They're going to be able to make a heck of a lot of money with five or more units. Obviously, it takes more capital to be able to do that and takes that person needs to be able to be more of a manager type of person when they have yeah. multiple units, just like with any business. Yeah. Having one unit is one thing. Having five or ten units is a whole nother animal and, you know, takes a more experienced 
business person or somebody who can put a good team together to run those locations. Yeah. And then they're really more more of a manager, you know, they and they'll need a general manager to oversee the multiple units. But with that also some expenses get reduced due to synergies. You can share advertising and marketing costs among the locations. You can share staff. You can you can do a lot of things more efficiently with multiple units as long as you're the type of person uh, that can handle, can handle having multiple units. The other type of person we're looking for are veterans. Veterans mm-hmm. have, uh, first, they're very big in cannabis, and it can help with a lot of issues that some veterans may have, like mm-hmm. uh, PTSD. But veterans also uh, have been proven over time to be very good franchisees. They're, they've grown up through systems of following, mm-hmm. you know, following systems, following rules, doing things the right way working within a structure yeah yeah and and work being willing to work within a structure that's what franchising is all about so we offer a veteran a discount on the franchise fee and we also offer veterans a discount on the royalty which another thing unique to franchising is part of part of the cost of getting a franchise is paying a franchise fee which Mm isn't isn't a profit center really for the franchisor because we have a lot of costs of our own to find franchisees to train them to help them get open and then you pay an ongoing royalty which is usually a percentage of sales and that goes on forever while you've got your franchise so you're paying basically for the right to use the brand for ongoing support that you get for all kinds of things yeah. like that as a percentage of sales. Makes sense. Ron, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Bud's Place, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, so our website is www.buds-place.com. Uh, Buds has no apostrophe, so B-U-D-S-Place.com. Uh, we've got a, a short promotional video on there that explains the concept and uh what they'll get from us when they're a franchisee. My email address is ronss at buds-place.com. Our office phone number, and we're headquartered in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. is 1-833-283-7289. And, uh, you know, or they can just Google us and all kinds of information on us will show up. So we're we're pretty easy to find. We're the only franchisor out there right now that we know of, of consumption lounges. And it's a great opportunity for somebody to be a pioneer in this industry, to build a lot of wealth and to have a business where they and their customers can have high quality fun. Good, good. I'll make sure all the information is in the show notes here so people can click through, get that, contact you. It's a really fascinating opportunity, fascinating part of the cannabis space. I really appreciate your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. Good talking with you. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.